Hey everybody, welcome to the First Pres Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast channel or our YouTube channel for the latest Sunday messages. We're so glad that you're listening and we are praying that the following message inspires you to take your next steps towards Jesus. Well, good morning, church. Good to see you gathered here and uh, welcome to those who are gathering at home. Uh, We are as a church, we are... Um, Well, we're in this series, To Give His Life. We're talking about Christ's knowledge of why he came to give his life away. And and as we're sort of, as a church, slowly recovering this gift of of community, many of us gathering uh, safely in the house, the majority of us are still worshiping uh, at home and worshiping in different sites. And so this morning, we're going to uh, recognize that by hearing the word read from home. We're going to hear from the Dillard family, and we're looking at John chapter 12, verses 26 to 36. So I encourage you to have your Bibles open or turned on and get there. Uh, it's a thick passage. And, uh, and as, we, uh, as we turn to the word of the Lord, uh, let's look to the screens and receive John 12, 26 to 36 this morning. We are the Dillard family. I'm Dave. Alyssa. Eddie. I'm Ella. And I'm Samuel. Okay, ready? Our scripture today is John 12, 26 to 36. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said that an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Amen. Let's give thanks for God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your living word, living and active. We thank you that your word reaches us. Thank you that it reaches into the hearts of children, reaches into the hearts of adults, reaches into our lives at all stages of all generations. Jesus, you're speaking to us. We thank you for that. Uh, We pray, we take a minute just to pray, uh, giving thanks for the Dillard family and all the families who are worshiping at home and receiving your word at home around living room couches and all the challenges, we pray also for the beauty of, of that intimate moment. Lord, enrich our families as we pursue you. And Jesus, for, for all of us, speak to us your living word. Draw us closer to you in grace and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Church said? 
Amen. That's what the church said. Amen. I love having some people in the house. I get to mess with you. So, to give his life for this very reason, that's the title of our message. A young lady uh, wanted to gift her technologically challenged grandparents something special for Christmas. And so she decided to send them an iPad. She put, put it in a nice box and sent it off for Christmas. And, and her grandparents loved to cook. They loved doing recipes and stuff in the kitchen. They're always finding new things to cook. It's very sweet how they were always finding new things to cook together. So she put this all together. She packed it up. She wrote on the note, thought you might enjoy this in the kitchen. She sipped it. She, you're with me. She shipped it off. A couple weeks later, thank you note comes. She opens it up. Oh, dearest, thank you so much for the beautiful glass cutting board from California. Have you seen this? We, it is good for apples, sure, but we've also enjoyed it for salads. And in fact, the other night we put it out as a cheese board. It worked perfectly. It fits perfectly in the dishwasher. Thank you so much for this beautiful gift. You're loving Nana, right? You can't use an iPad like that, can you, kids? Better not. Nope. That's right. Knowing the primary purpose of something can be, at times, helpful information. Are you with me? What's this thing for? It's got a nice apple on it. It's beautifully designed, you know. Knowing the primary purpose of something changes everything. Now, what was the primary purpose that Jesus came to earth? What was the primary thing that he was about. Jesus knew why he came. He knew what he had come to do. Do we? His primary purpose was to give his life. It matters what you think Jesus came to do. Who is Jesus? You know, he's not just an idea, he's a figure in history. He's an actual person. So you can just study what was Jesus doing? What was Jesus' business? What was Jesus about? What did he see as his primary purpose in the world? What was he, what was he doing in the world? Well, maybe he was a, a great teacher. He taught a lot of things. And, and in fact, most of what we call Western civilization is built in one way or another on something that Jesus said or taught or did. So he's a great teacher. Maybe he was a, a moralist. You know, teaching people how to be moral. Because people, they get close to Jesus and they seem to be motivated to change their behavior, to kind of behave a little bit better. Maybe Jesus was a moralist. Maybe he was a spiritual guru. You know, people have spiritual troubles and they come to Jesus and he seems to kind of guide them into a, an inner spiritual peace. They seem a little lighter. Maybe Jesus is a spiritual kind of trainer, you know, a guru. What was Jesus here to do? It matters what you think. If he was a teacher, then it's on you to learn what he taught and apply it to your life. If he's a teacher, if he's a good teacher, it's on you to be a good student and to learn what he taught and apply it and hope that you, that you do well enough to reach the marks. If he is a, a moralist, then it's on you to start behaving better, to start arranging your behavior to be more 
moral. You've got to respond to him being a moralist by being moral. If he's a spiritual guru, it's on you to take in his spiritual insights and apply them to your life and find spiritual inner peace. If he's a spiritual guru, it's on you to respond to his teaching, you see? But if he's a savior, that's something different entirely. If Jesus is a savior, then he came to do something to rescue. He came to do something to to redeem. He came to do something to snatch you up in his grip of grace. If he's a savior, then that's entirely different because if he's a savior, it's on you to release your life into his hands, to believe in him, to rest in his grace. Give your life over to him. Earlier in the Gospel of John, people were following Jesus. They asked him, what what do we need to do in John chapter six? They said, what do we need to do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this. Church, let's read this together. The work of God is this. Say this with me. To believe in the one he has sent. That's it. If he's a teacher, you better be a good student. If he's a trainer, you better take the training. If he's a savior, only believe and be gratefully, humbly saved. Be saved. Let's return to the scene. Jesus is in the middle of this great crowd, this great march, and I almost imagine him having to kind of shout to the people around him just so they can hear what he's saying, you know? It's like when you're... uh, you're at one of these great, like when you're at a, a concert or a, a ball game or, you know, these great, you know, you know these things? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever heard of these things? Oh, man. Oh, bring it back. But that's how it feels like. It's like he said, this big thing, communication is hard. Like what I'm saying, you're not hearing all the time. And so, but he wants his disciples to hear something. He wants his disciples to know something. So he's communicating them in the middle of this great chaos. And we saw last week how Jesus communicated with his disciples to turn their hearts from this moment where they were sort of in this rising expectation of a a breaking out of a global ministry that's about to go viral, that's about to go international. And this is all happening. And Jesus, he turned their hearts, didn't he? He shifted their hearts from that excitement to the reality of to follow me is to die to self. It's to cast your life into the soil like a seed before the foot of the cross. Jesus continues in that vein today. Verse 26. Whoever serves me must, what? Follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus continues down that track. If you want to follow me, to follow me means to follow me to the cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Whole life entrusted to God. Paul wrote in in the letter to the Galatians, for I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. That's dramatic. That's, That's death. That's my whole life is given over to Jesus. There's nothing that's left back. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. 
And the life I now live, I live. Uh, but Christ lives in me, excuse me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Whoever serves me, Jesus says, must follow me. And that means follow me to the cross. But he says, look, you can, you can go to that direction with trust. You can go that direction with faith. Because my father, I'll tell you about my father. He honors everyone who serves and follows me. You drop your, your life into the, into the soil like a seed, but you drop your life also right into the hands of the Father. And here's what his character is like. He raises you up to new life in him. You follow Jesus to the cross. And then we get this moment of intimacy right in the middle of the crowd. Jesus shares his heart you know, John, this gospel writer, he was always, they say he was always the, 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 the disciple is kind of close to the heart of Jesus. And Jesus, I almost just see him kind of leaning over and just, just sharing a little bit of his heart right here. Verse 27, now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? It's a rhetorical question. Because <laughs> what would you say to Jesus? Say, Yeah. You know, Jesus, turn aside. It's a rhetorical question. Jesus doesn't need the answer. He knows. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. This is a precursor to the agony Jesus will go through in the Garden of Gethsemane when he, goes, he kneels down at a stone. He's praying to the Lord and he's, he's talking about the cup that he's about to drink and he gets so, you know, he's so anxious. He's so stressed out. He's, he's bleeding drops of blood. He's sweating blood out of his skin, knowing what he's going to have to do, the appointment that he has with the cross. But Jesus says, and did you catch it? No, for this very reason. That's the title of our message this morning. For this very reason, I came to this hour. Should I turn away from this? Should I ask God to save my body and my spirit from all this pain? No. I'm going to walk right through it. So Jesus is saying that, that he came for this very reason. Not primarily to teach, not primarily to, to moralize, not primarily to inspire. He did some of those things, not primarily to heal. If Jesus came primarily to teach, there were only so many who sat under his teaching. If Jesus came primarily to heal, there were only so many who were healed by the power of Jesus in his earthly ministry. But look, what Jesus came primarily to do, he said, for this very reason, Jesus knew he came primarily to keep an appointment with the cross, to give his life. So no, he won't turn away from it, even when it's hard. Are you ever um, tempted to turn away from things when they get hard? I mean, I'm not, I but I just I hear that happens, you know, for some people. Yeah, we all are, right? This is hard. The words Jesus is using, he says, my soul is in turmoil. I'm, I'm turned over here. I mean, I am churned up. This is hard. And all of us get to that point. We think, I'm just walking away. I just want to flee. I just want to run away. I can't get up and take another step into this mess. I cannot run another day of at-home schooling. I cannot, you know what I mean? I mean, I cannot move into another day of Zoom. I can't do it. 
And we get, we get tempted to just turn away too hard. Give up. Jesus says, no. I'll take the next step. I'm walking straight ahead. I've come for this very reason, to keep an appointment with the cross. Verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Boom, this voice from heaven. It's this crazy crowd. There's a lot going on. It's hard to take it all in at once. Some people think, what is going on? Is that, was that thunder? What was that sound? Maybe an angel has come to do something. I mean, what's going on? They didn't understand it. And Jesus says, you know what he says? He says, you know what? That voice, that wasn't for me. That was for you, folks. I didn't need that voice. You need that voice. Verse 30, Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. He knows why he came. He knows what he needs to do. He knows how all this works. Now, friends, Jesus tells his disciples exactly what's gonna happen when he goes to the cross and dies. What's gonna be accomplished? These are some big key verses. If you've got your Bible, I want them open in front of you. We wanna study into this, verses 31 and 32. Jesus says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Right here, on Jesus' own lips, from Jesus' own mouth, Jesus is explaining three things that he knows he is about to accomplish by keeping his appointment with the cross and giving his life. For this very reason, he came. Number one, judgment on this world. Number two, the prince of this world Driven out. Number three, Jesus said, I will draw all people to myself. Let's dig in and study. Number one, judgment on this world. Judgment on this world. We worship and we know a just God, a God of righteousness, of holiness, a God who sets things right. The way the Bible talks about it is God, he pours his wrath out against unrighteousness. He will not allow disobedience and all the ways we disregard him and, and hurt ourselves and hurt one another. He will not allow that to abide. He pours out his wrath against unrighteousness. And Jesus says, that's what you're about to see. Now is the time for judgment to come on this earth. You're going to see God's hand move against unrighteousness. You're gonna see that happen. But here's the thing. All of God's wrath poured out against unrighteousness. You're going to watch it all come down on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, his own son, on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he died with our sins, with our disobedience, with the hurtful things that we've done, that have been done to us. He died with all of that in his body, clinging to him as he died on the cross. And the wrath of God was poured out on him. John would write later to the, the atoning, uh, to the church. He wrote this in 1 John 2, 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Do you remember what John the Baptist said when Jesus showed up to be baptized? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Our penalty laid on him. Our debt paid by him. 
And God continues to bring justice. He continues to set things right. And he continues to motivate us to do the same. But now, in Christ, forgiveness is possible. In Christ, you can be forgiven of all of your sin, of anything that you've done, of anything that has happened in your life. It can be forgiven, redeemed, reconciled, brought back into relationship with God because Jesus died to take our penalty, the judgment on this world, on himself. You know the song, till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. Judgment on this world. You see it in the cross of Christ. Number two, the prince of this world driven out. The prince of this world. The prince of this world is how the Bible, it's how Jesus talks about the devil, Satan, a fallen angel. And what Jesus is saying is that when I die on the cross, the prince of this world, the second that happens, Jesus knows that when he dies on the cross, the claim of Satan will be made void. It'll be made void. What's the claim of Satan? Listen now. Satan lays claim to every part of God's creation that will not submit to God's rule. He says, that's mine. Jesus told a parable once about three servants and the master gave the three servants some, uh, some material, some money. He said, go out and do something with this. And, and you remember the servants, if they went out and they served the master well, they came back and the master said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. And do you remember what he says next? Enter into the joy of the master. Enter into the joy you've served. What if you can't say that? What if you resist serving the Lord? Either you're entering into the joy of the master or you're entering into someone else's control. You belong ultimately to another. And Satan says, this one is mine. Look at him, Jesus. He doesn't love you. He doesn't want your teaching. He doesn't want your kingdom. He doesn't serve you. He despises you, Jesus. That one is mine. He belongs to me. Sinners belong to me. But what if Christ, what if Jesus Christ paid the penalty for that sin? Well, then the claim is void. It's not gonna hold up. It's, an, it's, a, it's a bounce check It's an unsigned contract. You can't hold on to me. Satan says, you're a sinner. You belong to me. And I reply, that's true. I am a sinner. You're right about that. But I appeal to the cross of Christ. I have been purchased by his blood. He died for me, and I cast myself on the mercy seat of Jesus Christ who shed his blood to purchase me, and he owns me, he's redeemed me, and ransomed me. I am a sinner, that's true, but I'm not yours. I am his forevermore, bought by the blood of Christ. The prince of this world will be cast out. Oh, I hope you know the power of this truth. I hope you know the power of it. Number three, 
I will draw all people to myself. Now is the time, Jesus said, for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Third thing that happens on the cross is that the universal call of the gospel is published to all nations, to all peoples. And the covenant of God opens up for any and all who will come in through faith in Jesus Christ. See, God made a covenant. He made promises. It began with Abraham. He made a covenant. He said, I'm your, I'm your God. You're going to be my people. You're going to be my special possession, my joyful possession. You're my daughter, Zion. You're my people, Israel. And through you, I'm going to bless all nations. And these are the covenants that God made through the Old Testament. And now Jesus initiates what he calls the new covenant. The new covenant, the final and consummating covenant made by his own blood shed on the cross. We're going to hear him say very soon, this, when he, he lifts up the cup, he says, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my, what? You guys know it. My blood. See, I can't help but do this with my hands because like whenever I get into this phrase, this is what I'm doing. My blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink of it, all of you. It's a new covenant, Jesus said. And as he dies on the cross, the universal call of the gospel is proclaimed. And any and all, any who would come, any who would believe in Jesus Christ, any who would bend the knee, submit to his rule, all may come in, all may enter in, and all may be counted as children of God through Jesus Christ. In chapter one of the gospel of John, it says, yet to all who did receive him. See, some they don't, they flee. When he's coming, they turn the other way. I don't wanna be a part of that. But to all who did receive him, he became, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become, what? Children of God. The authority, the right. He exercised the authority of adoption of bringing you into the family of God. So Jesus said, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this, verse 33, to show the kind of death he was going to die. See, lifted up. Lift it up. It means the cross. It means suspended between heaven and earth and a cross of wood. But it means more than that. Jesus says, when I'm lifted up out of the earth, from the earth, he's talking not only about the cross, he's talking about his resurrection. When I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And that's the gospel that we proclaim. We proclaim that Christ has come, Christ has died, and Christ has risen from the grave. And when we publish and proclaim this truth, the Holy Spirit himself goes with it and convinces hearts and draws people home to Jesus himself and into his family. See, Jesus says, just lift me up. Proclaim this message and I will draw all people to myself. Yes, in Jesus, judgment is rendered and paid. The claim of Satan is void. The covenants of God, they're yours and they're mine, even mine, a sinner saved by grace. Jesus knew this. He knew his appointment was with the cross. He knew he came to give his life. And God wants you to know it. He wants you to know it. I mean, a, th a thundering voice from heaven. 
God wants you to know something. And we don't know everything. God doesn't disclose everything to us, but there are things that God wants you to know. Verse 35, Jesus goes on to explain, then Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. Why would you want that to be your spiritual state, to not even know where you're going next when you stick your foot out and lean forward? You want to walk in the light while the light is over you. And here's what Jesus says. Church, read this with me, would you? Believe in the light. Read it with me. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. Thank you. Believe and become. And after Jesus said this, after he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. There's something that Jesus knows and there's something that God wants you to know. We don't get to know everything. God conceals stuff from us, doesn't he? I mean, we don't understand everything. Does anybody in the house understand everything? See me after, you know? In fact, there's a proverb that says it's the glory of God to conceal secrets. Deuteronomy says the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But, but, there are things that God wants you to know. The things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. We don't understand everything. We don't know everything. But there's something that God wants you to know. He wants you to know with absolute clarity and conviction the way of salvation won by Jesus Christ, won for you by his victories on the cross. He wants you to know it. And Jesus says, look, there's urgency. This way of salvation, it's been publicly proclaimed, it's been declared, it's been brought into the light for all to see. And Jesus says there's urgency about this. This light isn't gonna shine on you the same way forever. There are moments in our lives where for whatever reason, we're, we're kind of open to the gospel. We're open to Jesus. We're open to what he's saying. And, and we've got a moment there. And Jesus says, while that light is on you, you've got to do something. You've got to act. You've got to take a step. You've got to believe if you're going to become. You've got to move toward me in the light while the light is over you. Take that step, he says in verse 36, believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again for this very reason. Lord, help us, we pray, to believe and become. We thank you that when we put our faith in you, we're we become new people, born again, children of God, born of the light. I pray that conviction for each of us, that we would have the courage to cast ourselves down at your feet and to die to ourselves and to live only to you, to see the light of Christ breaking out in our hearts and in the world around us, through us. Pray that, Jesus. Help us to believe and to become in your light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Colorado Springs area, we would love to meet you on a Sunday morning. 
To plan your visit, head to our website at firstprezcos.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-C-O-S.org.